You're listening to the John Clark Cast. I'm your host, John Clark, licensed counselor, group practice owner, and a guide for therapists trying to build a better business without all the overwhelm. In this episode, I sat down um, uh, with another uh, coaching client of mine, uh, Adam Matthews, Dr. Adam Matthews, uh, private practice owner in North Carolina. Um, I have to admit, this was one of my favorite conversations on the podcast in, in, in a long time. Um, it ended up being a very twisting and turning kind of open-ended conversation um, about things like embracing your struggle, um, early lessons learned as a, as an, as a young therapist. Um, uh, we, we had a lot of overlap in that regard. Um, uh, thinking about different definitions of healing and what we do, um, dealing with imposter syndrome and much, much more. Like I said, it was just a really wonderful conversation. Certainly one you don't want to miss. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, let's dive in. Building a private practice can be tough, but I believe that it doesn't have to be. And so uh, I, I like to help you make things a whole lot easier. Um, if you're interested in working with me, head to thejohnclark.com and uh, apply for a free strategy session. That's thejohnclark.com to apply for a free strategy session. Um, in the meantime, do me a big favor, rate, review, and subscribe to this show wherever you are listening. That really helps us get the word out and continue to grow the show. And um, otherwise, tell a friend uh, about the show as well. Share your favorite episode. And um, thank you in advance for helping us uh, move things forward. Dr. Adam Matthews is on the show with me today. Um, Dr. Adam Matthews is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a licensed professional counselor and owner of Matthews Counseling. He has over 15 years of experience working with couples and families from a wide variety, a wide diverse diversity of backgrounds. He teaches on couple relationships and family as an adjunct professor for both North Central University and Pfeiffer University, as well as through numerous speaking engagements. He's the co-host of the popular podcast, Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy, and the president of the North Carolina Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. He's also an American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy clinical fellow and supervisor. That's a tongue twister. Uh, he and his wife, Rebecca, are celebrating 14 years of marriage and enjoy spending time with their three children, Lily, Rhea, and Brennan. I made it. I made it through. <laughs> It's an impressive, That's awesome. It's an impressive bio. Adam. <laughs> it's, it's a two-wordy bio is what it is. I'm exhausted. I'm ready to wrap this episode up. <laughs> awesome. It's where yeah. it's wearing me out. I used to not do intros at all, and then someone told me that I was an idiot for not, and now I'm kind of like, man, out of breath yeah, before we to, even start. I used to not not write bios at all, and then somebody told me I had to have one. So yeah, that's how that goes. <laughs> They're like, send over your bio, and you're like, yeah, uh, uh, I'll yeah, I should do have... that. I'll have my <laughs> assistant write it for me. Yeah. Um, well, I Adam, I wanted to have you on um, just because I, you're awesome, and that's pretty much the reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. It was, it's a good reason to be on, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe fill folks in on um, a bit more about kind of who you are and, and, and how you got here. 
Yeah, so um, I'm in Raleigh, less where I'm kind of located, but we've uh, we've moved around a bit. Um, so um, I didn't start off wanting to do therapy. I was going to I was going to work with um, teenagers in um, some uh, nonprofit capacity. Um, just want, that was what I was wanting to do. Mm. Um, and then found out that I, um, didn't, um, I got fired from a, a job that I had when I was living in Dallas and, um, and this was kind of my fallback, but I also realized that, um, I didn't have the knowledge that I needed to be able to help in the right way. Um, it wasn't I was just seeing a lot of, uh, problems and issues that, um, were, um, just beyond my, what I, the knowledge that I had at the time. And so I went back to school and I, um, just kind of fell in love with it. Um, and just kept going in school. That's where I met my wife. So we were both actually therapists. Um, and, what's and that like? uh, <laughs> um, not as easy as most people <laughs> think it is. <laughs> um, it is, it's fun in the aspects yeah. that we work together, work together for a long time. Yeah. Um, but it is, uh, it was, we, um, when we were dating during our dating time, that's when we were in school. And so, uh, we were sitting through things like sex therapy class and, um, conflict resolution classes and things like that. Um, try not to like over apply it to us and, and what we were going through at the time. So, um, it was, it, it's, it's fun cause we know, we know, we know what to do, yeah. but we often like have to check ourselves from doing therapy on each other that's her oh yeah that's my wife's common line is don't do therapy on me right now i'm not i'm not a of course so did you ever have to do like um you know in in some graduate schools the students act as therapist and client did you all ever have to do that with each other yeah yeah we did it a couple times when before we started dating um, then after, after we were, after we were dating, we finally let everybody know that's not something that we should really, <laughs> you it's not you're like, hey, you shouldn't pair us together. Yes. We, it's uh, going to get too real. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We did a, we did a, um, our internship, one of the internships we did together, um, was at a psych hospital. And so that was, uh, was, uh, an intense experience, um, for us. And we finally told them like, you got to stop that. Like we just need to do things separately. We just need to do everything separately for a little while. Um, yeah, so that, I mean that's that's basically it. And then we, um, I um, started. Um, I did start working at a nonprofit early on, and it was a great experience. I worked with kids um, that were uh, tra- in a uh, uh, jail. Basically, they were mm-hmm. juveniles that were transitioning back out of um, from being in jail to being back home. Okay, um, that was pretty intense work. Yeah. and um, and then. In between that, during that, I tried to uh, started and stopped several private practices um, until we moved here about five years ago, and that's when um, we were able to kind of really dig in and um, good things started happening um, uh, for us that way. So, um, yeah, I mean that's bas- that's basically mm. the journey. Nothing super flashy. It's just kind of a lot of hard work, a lot of um, late hours, um, things like that. It's it's funny because I never I never knew that you, at one point, didn't want to be a therapist or were heading down a different path. You you, and I think this is a compliment. You strike me as the kind of guy that's like a natural born therapist. 
thank you. You know, um, I mean? and, and I, and so, you know, some people that kind of have that just go, they just never stop following that. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It was, it was more that, I mean, I had a similar story to a lot of therapists, like, um, people would come to me for help. Mm-hmm. Like they, I would be the kind of the one that people would talk to, um, in life. Um, but I never translate, I always thought of therapist as, um, more the psychiatrist, more like, um, doctors and, um, had my own stigmas around therapy that it was, um, uh, something that was only for crazy people or mm-hmm. was really like the psych hospital mentality of yeah. what there was. Um, and so when I discovered that it wasn't, and that was through just some experience of it, honestly, through my own therapy experience, um, realized what it could, what it could actually look like. It was much more attractive to me. Um, well, a, a psych hospital is a very intense first impression of our field. That's mm-hmm. actually where I started off. Um, and when I was a, an undergraduate, I was working there like evenings yeah. and weekends. And, um, I mean, you're seeing the worst, the worst, yeah. you're seeing the worst situations and true mental illness and psychoses and really intense stuff yeah. where if you're learning to be a therapist at the same time, you're going, how am I going to sit and listen and understand and validate, you know, someone who is yeah, seeing yeah. things on the wall or, you know, hearing, hearing yeah. voices. And I'm just one of those voices. Um, it, but so it's, it's intense, but also if you can do that work and, and kind of hang with it, you know, it's, it, it helps you kind of, you know, get ready for other difficult jobs and then eventually other jobs that aren't as difficult in that same way, maybe. Yeah. I think that therapy outside of like private practice to me really is the easiest form of therapy yeah. or, or what I do. Cause like the, um, the, other experiences that I've had were in, like intensive in-home community-based um, things like that. And they were, um, they were so intense and we had to figure out how to do that well. Um, and if you can stay, I tell my supervisees all the time that are working in that, like if you can stay in that for three years, or three or four years and really learn how to do it well, there's really no mm-hmm. therapy that you, that you can't do. Um, it just, it makes, it does make you a better, um, a better therapist, I think. It really For does, sure. and it's funny. We must have worked all the same jobs because I also, I, you know, I worked in probation, <laughs> I worked in, in yeah. uh, adoption and foster care system, mm-hmm. and in San Francisco, I was doing a lot of community-based work. And at the time, I think I started to resent it and get burnt out. And then it wasn't until I left it fully and was in private practice that I became really grateful for what it had taught me. Because the other thing is yeah. like, um. Yeah, learning to work with severe mental illness is is intense and in that system, but then learning to work with clients in the context of their environment and system and having really getting your your kind of sharpening some social work skills is, Mm -hmm. was, is not my forte, but was so essential because I was out there in the communities, you know, working with clients in their homes, in their schools, in the jails and seeing, wow, these you know, there's a lot of factors at play here that I wouldn't have otherwise see if they just come in for 50 minutes of therapy in my comfy office with my, you know, cool artwork on the wall. Yeah. I think, I think it also teaches you how to be creative. Like, um, if you can, and think outside the box and it's, Mm -hmm. um, it, it takes therapy. I mean, I've done therapy in a, um, a closet before, like, (laughs) like a storage closet because that was the only place we were able to do it. I had to, 
Um, you know, I had to regroup from therapy after the middle of a, a fight uh, in in the jail and that one that I got hit in, you know, like, um, you know, I've done therapy in people's homes where I sat in cat pee and had to do the whole session, like, like you know, I had nowhere else to go in the house and yeah. things like that. Um, there, a, a client one time had a squirrel as a pet. I like to run around, like things casual. like that. <laughs> yeah, just su- they were super casual about it. Um, You're like, what's his and, name? Does Mr. Squirrel <laughs> like to participate in this session? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so things like that. I mean, like you have to. Yeah. I think you have to be creative. At how how what how, what's going to be helpful? Yeah. And so, like, it. I think that forces you to do that. But you know, you're right. Like at, at some point, I was like, I, this is too much. I had, and I when I got out of it. But now that I look back on it, I'm really I'm really really thankful for that experience. Mm. Yeah. And I've I've got my own list of bizarre places I did therapy. A lot of it was just in the car, either the car was stopped or more likely I was driving across the Golden Gate Bridge or something with a client or a teenager in the car and they're wanting out. They're they're not wanting to have anything to do with me. Um, (laughs) It's often the case that kind of work. We find ways to make it work or, you know, grab a meal. One of the, um, probably the kind of funniest one for me looking back on it was I was with um, working with a family that was, it was really, they were really hard to engage with. And I understood that and was kind of respecting that. And eventually I went over to their house and um, one of the guys was giving haircuts in the front yard. He was like putting a trash bag over people and just lining oh people up and, and just giving free haircuts. And I needed one. And also <laughs> I don't think he had ever. I don't think he had ever cut my uh, my kind of hair, and so the other thing that he didn't know this was like exposure therapy for me because I have a weird like fear of haircuts. I think because my mom used to take me to horrible places growing up, like J.C. Penney or like a family friend who like kind of knew how to cut hair. And so as a kid, I always was the kid going back to school with like the crooked bangs and the like the the, like just a block of hair, like a chunk of hair out missing in the wrong place like i always oh, hated man. it so the guy did i don't think he knew how big of a deal this was for me but he cut my hair um i looked horrible but it's but it helped the relationship oh yeah man you you kind of you did what you had to do I you did. did whatever it took that's the yeah. clients where they are quite literally that's right man and get a haircut that's awesome yeah. <laughs> yeah i bet they i bet they loved you after that I mean, they, they were really like, did so, like, yeah they really was, did. You, yeah, you weren't you weren't afraid to just join join them and jump right in there. That's totally. amazing, man. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know that I, I don't know ever that went far. I ate a lot of I let it. I ate a lot of food yeah. that I was really scared of. Same. That was that was probably the fear the because I I'm very picky. I'm a picky eater, mm. so I was uh, I, I struggled with that. But then when they offered, they that was that was the sign that you were in when clients would totally. offer you food like that they that they had made because it was just a it's in the south it's just it's it's really disrespectful if you don't eat the food oh, yeah. that somebody made for you um so yeah that's what we were that's fun times man that's good it's good i could tell i could tell therapy stories all day long oh yeah from that that period of life because they're just they're they are unending they really uh, are yeah. <laughs> um yeah i was doing i was doing community work in um and i, I was with one client and we saw another client out in out in the community and they started kind of fighting over me 
Oh, they're they're they? like, this is my, this is my therapist. No, <laughs> this, this is my, this is my therapist. therapist. I'm like, God. See, like confidentiality in that case, it just goes it's out the window. window. It doesn't, no. it doesn't matter. But I think like some people that haven't done that work, they're so fearful of that. But it's like, it's just, that's just happening yeah. all over the place. Like we had, we had cousins and aunts and uncles and friends just oh, like yeah. busting. We were doing therapy in, in people's living rooms, and so like people would just be coming in and going all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would just they oh, they'd be like, "Oh, this is my therapist." Like there was no yeah. like um, qualms about about that kind of stuff. Like it was just all over all over the place. It was, was kind of like guerrilla warfare, like type yeah. type therapy of like just using <laughs> whatever you could find, trying to be some kind of therapy ninja, like pull whatever you could um, out of it. And it was. Um, it's weird now that I can say that it was fun because it did not feel fun at the. It did not feel fun at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt it felt uh, intense and um, and like a lot of work, um, but it was good. It was good times. The like some of the, um, I mean, like the origins of um, like healers um, that were truly embedded in like a community or even a tribe always fascinates me because it's like. I don't know if you're a healer in a tribe, you are just in that community and it's your community. And I, and it's, it's strange because we have this tendency, I think, and some people are obviously more, like you said, more kind of skeptical of this, or they're more boundaried than others mm-hmm. of like, I only exist in this office for my clients. And yep. it's this freak out moment. If you see one another. And I think a lot of yeah. times clients, they're reading your energy on that. They're reading your like anxiety on that. Um, mm. I remember for my, you know, my therapist as a teenager, we would, I would see him all the time, <laughs> you know, yeah. and he worked with my friends and like, you know, my, you my sibling and stuff. And he just handled it like a pro. I mean, it was like, you can make it more awkward by not saying hi or pretending like we don't exist, but yeah. he was so embedded in the community and still is that mm-hmm. um it just wasn't really a th- a thing i guess yeah yeah that's it's interesting that you bring that up because um i don't know if you if you've read anything by brad keeney before Mm-mm. um but he uh he was one of my supervisors and he wrote a book called aesthetics of change and he wrote a book called resource focused therapy um but he was also um he also did a lot of research into shamanism mm-hmm. and he would go to africa and he would spend a bunch of time um, with, with shamans and, Mm -hmm. um, that kind of, that kind of healer mentality. And he would bring that, he applied that to therapy. Um, he, and he's, he's a little controversial and for some people, um, I mean, he's played, he's played drums in therapy before, like he's, he, he, some of the stuff that he did, um, it feels a little out there, but he, um, he was a supervisor at our agency for, um, a few years um, while I was working on my dissertation. And so um, he uh, he helped me work through that. And we would talk about the need for more of that type of healing in those contexts mm-hmm. um, because it was it that it was more present and focused in the moment on what the person needed rather than trying to apply a bunch of interventions. Um, we had a kid one time who um, he been through a, in, he was in, in, in jail for a long time for most of his adolescence. And he, um, needed, uh, he, the big thing he kept getting in trouble for is he would cuss out the guards. Mm-hmm. He would just cuss them out all the time. Um, and, uh, Brad would go in there with us and he would talk about, we would talk to him about the, the idea that this was the only reason this kid was getting in trouble. Like it was the only reason he was getting in trouble in prison, but he would do it all the time. He was almost like uncontrollable. So, 
um, we, in talking to him, we realized like this was just an outlet for what he was. He did, he just needed an outlet. He had been spent most of his adolescence in prison. He was, um, really tired of it. He was really frustrated in life. And so we had this idea. We taught him how to cuss in German. <laughs> like we just looked up a bunch of German cuss words and we taught him how to cuss in German and um, he didn't he didn't get in trouble anymore. Like they didn't know what they didn't know what he was saying to them. He still he would say he would like say German cuss words under his breath or he would like say like yeah. they I mean, they 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 didn't they didn't nobody spoke German there. So um, but he's there's just this outlet for him that he needed mm-hmm. and teaching it like the idea of for um, healers and shamans to come in was to figure out a way for them to get what they needed um, in a, in a, in given the context that they were a part of. Um, and yep. like in, in doing that, we did um, several things that were in that same, that same vein. Um, we, we videoed a kid one time for his story um, for him to share what he had learned. He, he was mm-hmm. continually going to, um, what they considered their, the psych ward in prison. And he like, um, he allowed us, he got, we got his permission and we came in and we just videotaped him asking him to share what he had learned. And just in that like act of doing that, um, he, he began to like, um, he, he began to see himself differently. Like he hadn't really made a lot of progress, but when he started talking on the, on, on video, he started talking about all these changes that he had made and how therapy had helped him. I mean, this kid would barely meet, would barely say anything with me, um, during our therapy sessions. But we, when we shifted the context for him, he, um, he began to do, to act and believe and think in a way that was, um, more healed than not, Mm -hmm. uh, and so, like that that idea, um, like the, of approaching clients like that has just it stuck with me. Is it made a huge impact on me? And and you know, thinking in private practice, like I, I still try to, um, I still try to act and think in that in that way, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like this rigid, stark, like um, clear separation between therapy, therapist and client. Um, that I think sometimes doesn't feel real um, mm-hmm. and doesn't feel helpful to clients. Well, and yeah. I think part of it is part of it is our training, and part of it is you know when you come out of a graduate program, you've learned to do therapy a particular way, more or less. And some people come out pretty freaked out about ethics, pretty freaked out about not getting in trouble, yeah. <laughs> you know, again, yeah. or waving to your client on the street or whatever it is. And I understand that. Um, they oh, yeah, me too. Say, they say it takes seven years to achieve mastery of any skill. And obviously, we can never really master therapy. That's part of why I love it. At the same time, I remember around about seven years, I was like, yeah. oh, now I'm getting the hang of this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now I yeah, can they, do it things, takes time. you know, totally off the cuff. And um, I learned so much from my own therapist. It's unbelievable. It's just, it's, it's yeah. been my best training, my best Uh, preparation and I had a therapist in San Francisco who um, the sessions were not time limited (laughs) Mm, yeah I don't know how she did that how she did she just went on for however long it took just however long that session took so sometimes I go in and it'd be 40 minutes and we'd work through something and get to the end of it and and we would just that would be it other times it'd be an hour and 45 minutes and there'd be someone sitting in the hallway just kind of waiting because they kind of knew the drill and I was like wow what if everyone did that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you just, you're just giving people what they need. Like if they oh, yeah. need an hour and a half, they got an hour and a half. Yeah. Cause sometimes, you know, if you give a client 30, sometimes they'll do the work in 30. Um, or 
an hour and a half or whatever it is. And then sometimes I think, um, yeah, it can feel inorganic to, to, to put a lot of limitations on therapy at the same time, we kind of have to, because we've got to yeah. see a certain number of people in a day or, you know, yep. some, if we're working with managed care, we've got to work with managed care. But again, the idea of healing is really should be up to us. And I think in private practice, we have more flexibility to practice how we want to practice within reason. Um, mm -hmm. and there's just a lot of ways of helping people. Yeah. And it, I think it was, that seven year thing is a, is a good thing. Cause I think it takes that long to just kind of unlearn what we've learned in a way mm -hmm. like to like, I think you're right. We come out of school with this idea of therapy in a box, this like prepackaged mm -hmm. idea. And it's hard for us to think of helping, um, in any other way, um, mm -hmm. besides that. And so, but a lot of times I think that keeps us from innovating too. Like, I mean, in, in some ways we're still doing therapy the way that it's been done since it, since its origins. Yeah. Um, and it's hard. I think it's, there's a lot of resistance from therapists to actually think about, um, what they do in a different way. But I think what that does is that keeps us from innovating. It keeps us from, um, making it better, not just for the client, but for us as well. Um, and it, it's it, because we don't, it, that therapy, I think therapists have just a high burnout rate for what they do in part because I don't think that it's matching up to who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, they don't do therapy in a way that feels, feels natural and, um, and, and full and life giving to, to who they are as people. I think it also depends times. on how you see therapy. Is it more of an art? Is it more of a science? Oh yeah, man. Somewhere, I love that conversation. Somewhere very much in between, but absolutely, I find that a lot of even you know the therapists that I'm drawn to have done my work with are probably more in that art. They're more atheoretical. They're more transtheoretical. Yeah. They're more off the cuff. Like I've had, you know, therapists like that one in San Francisco just do very untraditional things with me, and that's that's really. You know, yeah. I think where the good work has happened for me, at least. On the other hand, you have some people that want a more textbook approach or a protocoled kind of treatment manual approach. And maybe that, you know, I think that helps for some people. I think on the other hand, it can also be a block for people because they feel like, oh, this isn't, you know, this yeah. isn't in the textbook. So therapy can't feel yeah. too out of control, you know. Yeah, I think they're, I think there's some people that that really fits their personality. The, the, mm -hmm. the more the science side really fits who they are. And I think they're probably, they're successful because it fits with, with who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I'm the same way. More of my teachers have been more on the artistic side. Um, and so that's, that's where I fall, uh, more. And so if I tried to do it from a textbook way, um, or like it, it would feel really inauthentic to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, I think that would come across. Like I think for people that are, uh, just more, more built that way, have a more engineering type of mind, you know, that work, it works for them and it's probably, and it's going to work for their clients as well. Um, um, you know, for me, it's just been, it's been more trying to find, as I've found more of my voice, it's fallen more on, yeah. um, the artistic side there. We know that ultimately a lot of, um, there's a lot of common factors research, right? In terms of what, what facilitates change regardless of theoretical orientation. Yep. And a lot of it's the relationship. Um, yep. and a lot of it's also the therapist's belief that what they're doing is going to help. Yeah. And yeah. this might be a good segue into the thing I, I meant to talk to you about today, which is <laughs> right. building a business, building a yes. driving business. <laughs> But we might just have to do two episodes. Um, yeah. But but I do see a lot of therapists who I think 
you know, we can do all the marketing stuff. You can have the coolest website and the cool, you know what I mean? All the, yeah. all the digital marketing stuff and this and that, you can have everything set up right. But if you really don't believe in what you're selling and, and in the way that you're helping people, um, then it's all going to fall flat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that to me is, it takes, it's, it takes a long time to kind of get to that space, or at least it did mm-hmm. for me of believing that what I was offering was valuable, mm-hmm. um, and that it was, it, it was important. Um, and there's a, th- we, we had this conversation uh, with some of my therapists the other day about, um, because we were figuring out some prices for some services we were going to offer and the fees and stuff. And, um, you know, that, that, that feeling that, um, that what we have isn't, is it should be given away for, it should be given away for free and that mm-hmm. it's, it's not impactful. Um, or it should just at least be discounted in a way that, um, um, doesn't really support the, Mm-hmm. doesn't support the therapist that's 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 selling it in a in a in a good way um and i think that that's t- it's tied to that it's mm-hmm. tied to that that just belief in um um that we have what it takes to be able to to help and to um heal and to offer something to people that um that they get their they get their money's worth in it mm-hmm. um and that is it's that somebody attacked we're um doing a retreat um, a marriage retreat here in a few weeks with some other therapists in the area and, um, had somebody, um, kind of attack us on, uh, social media for what we were charging and what we were doing. And like that, it stung for a bit. I really was taken aback and it was like those immediate thoughts of, is this really, um, is this really worth what we are, what we're charging? Mm. Um, and then I was like, I just had that check and I, I got, I've gotten better at it, but it's always, it always comes up of like, no, no, hang on. We like, this is, you're getting this, this, and this, and th- and this, and these things are valuable that you wouldn't get anywhere else. Yeah. Um, my, the, ther- the, uh, Brad Kinney, the therapist I was telling you about, he, um, he used to say to clients, he would say like, there is no one else in the world like you. Like he, he would, he would hit that point. He would say it in a bunch of different ways, but it was that idea. And I think that's true for therapists. We often think that they can, that there's anywhere that they can go for therapy and there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a large market in Raleigh for uh, therapists. Um, but I, i just firmly believe that if you come and see me or you come see one of my therapists or whoever you're seeing, you're not seeing that person has something very unique mm-hmm. and different that they're offering you that you're not going to get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that my, be- my belief in that I think has taken a while to really get there. But once we did like that, that's honestly when business took off for us. Mm. Um, and for me, for me personally, um, when people started showing up, um, was when I started actually believing that I had something of value to offer. Well, you know, therapists have a astounding way of, of really oppressing one another. And, um, it's been on my mind a lot more lately because I hear too many stories like this of, um, you know, I would raise my fees, but, I'm afraid of what the therapist next door might say or has already said, you know, mm-hmm. in your case. Um, and I think a lot of it's projection. I think it's usually a discomfort that they have about themselves or their own fees or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's jealousy. So I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, we have to step back like you did and go, okay, that stings. Why does it sting? 
what's coming up for this person, you know, what's coming up for yeah. me. And is this something I should actually change what I'm going to do over? Right. Cause yeah. that's the real decision is, you know, if one person tells you, Hey, this is, you're charging too much or what gives you the right to charge this much. Then the mistake that a lot of people make is they go, well, then I should definitely, <laughs> you know, change it yeah. versus, and you know, again, it's like, I've been stuck on this idea for a while now, but, uh, until you have 30 people telling you, you're, you know, this, you're charging too much. Yeah. I don't yes. want you to change. Like, don't budge. Yeah. It's not yeah. statistical you, significance. <laughs> do you think as I've been, the, the more I think about that, I, do you think that that's about money or is that about our hangups on money or do you think that's something else? Cause I used to think it was my own hangup about money around money issue. Cause I just wasn't taught well about money. Um, and I used to think that the, that wasn't, if I was, um, if I was making money that I was doing it wrong, that I wasn't being true to this, the calling of helping. Um, mm -hmm. but the more I think about it, the more I think it, it has, at least for me, it has more to do with the value I see in myself and my, the, the thought that I have what it takes to actually do something well. Mm -hmm. Um, it like that I have the, um, the, there's to me like the idea of whether I get to call myself an expert in something, um, like is like, I, I have this resistance to calling myself a rela a, a relationship expert. But when I look at the, like the, you know, Gladwell's, you know, 10,000 hours, I have that, I have mm -hmm. experience, I have de degrees, I have, um, um, proof, like mm -hmm. there's all of these things that I have that I discount. And so I don't want to put my, I, I don't often want to put myself in that role. And I think it's a, and so I, then I don't charge for what it's, totally. what it's actually worth. Um, it's and a so, way to deal with dissonance. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a hidden dissonance of you, you're actually, you're behaving like an expert, but the belief of being an expert hasn't yet caught up. You know, this, mm. I was talking to someone recently who is becoming a business coach and it was the same exact thing for this person. They had already yeah. started doing business coaching and then they were getting, you know, kind of bit in the ass by this, this imposter syndrome or this feeling of like, what gives me the right? Or someone else had said, what gives you the right to teach mm -hmm. someone about business? Well, cause I'm already, I'm already doing it and I have doing something it. to offer <laughs> and yeah. people are paying for it. And that's how people become experts. So yeah. I do think like imposter syndrome is a big, it's a factor at any stage of the game and we have to keep working through it. And really you just continue with the behavior and the belief will eventually catch up. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. We need, I think belief creates its own proof in that, in that kind of way exactly. um, for a lot of things. And um, if we don't, if, if we don't start with that, I don't, then we don't, we don't have that. We don't see the proof that's all around us. We don't start with that belief that and keep moving forward. It's, it's, it's going to be really difficult in that sense. Well, I think to see that people in any system or any group don't want any one person to exceed too far. They don't want any one mm. person to grow too far or elevate themselves too much. And so naturally, the, the people challenge that person or bring that person back down. This happens in mm. nature. This happens with animals. Um, and so I think it happens with us too. We just, we have an emotional reaction to it because it feels personal. It can get personal. Yeah. And ultimately yeah. we're going, hey, well, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out my business. Or hey, my clients haven't said this is too expensive, but therapists are telling me that it is. So yeah. Should I do something about it? Yeah. I, 
Yeah, that I have a hard time. I I think I read too many like like there's too many voices a lot of times mm-hmm. um, in my head from other people or from stuff I'm reading. So I mean, social media is the worst about that. Yeah, you know, like there's in some ways like I, I have to like unfollow people that um, I I'm trying to I'm trying to either uh, I feel like are where I want to go. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because every time I, like I don't see what they're doing they're doing the same things i'm doing like i've just come to believe like they're doing exactly the same things i'm doing um they're going through the exact same emotions and feelings that i'm going through um the more i talk to people that do this the more like we all like we all have such similar experiences in it um and so like having even that that comparison um factor to other people is like it's strong like i just want to compare myself to everybody else that's already doing it mm-hmm. and then go well i don't have what they have or they're already doing what what i would do or yep. the, you know there's i don't have anything unique to offer um and so it it makes me stop when i should when i should press forward and um and continue doing what like we talked about what i'm already doing well, the, uh, the, the irony is that people you know we don't check those beliefs against reality and the the irony is that I guarantee people have that same exact belief about you. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. so they look at you and they go, "Yeah, Adam's got it all together. And he's doing the speaking <laughs> thing, and he's got this podcast, and um, you know, if only I could get that. If only I could get there." And oh we, man, we don't see that. I don't. I don't know what that is. I I don't know. <laughs> a quick. There's a yeah. Work through that. This this may be too nerdy, but I don't know if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. <laughs> Uh, um, I'm not, but I can appreciate it. I'm a fan of a lot of other nerdy things. Okay. <laughs> so go for it. There's a, there's a, there's a part where like the, um, Frodo and Sam are, are taking the ring to Mordor and they're like, they're the, in the books, they, there's this moment where they're talking about the idea of heroes and, um, they, they talk about that heroes never recognize when they're in the story. Right. Like they, they talk about this idea that the, the hero of the story is, is in it and just doing the same things that they're doing, That's right. but they don't recognize themselves as being heroic at that time. And I think it's the same thing for people that are successful at what they do. They don't, they're in it and they're just living that story. They're, they're fully present on what do I have to do next? What am I doing? Um, and it's the, it's the, it's the look, it's the look back that gives you the, the hero's perspective or the success perspective. It's not in the, in the trenches and the day-to-day moments and the hard parts right. and the, um, and all of that. And so it's hard, it's really hard to see. Um, it's hard to see yourself in that, you're starting to see yourself in that role. Um, and it's hard to see, um, it's hard to see it without the cumulative work of looking back, but mm. If it's if it's if you're in it, if it's hard, if you're being present, if you're showing up every day, mm-hmm. um, to me that is that's the thing that that makes that um, you're in that success story. Mm-hmm. Um, you just may not you just may not know it yet, you know. Well, and it's it's the per, the hero in that story or in any story is just trying to get to the next level. They're just trying to complete the mission. Yeah, and I think that's what all of us are doing. And so on one hand, you know, we don't want to be too driven by fear. That's not a good fuel. On, on the other hand, having some of that fear or even some of that comparison 
is part of your fuel. It's part of our fuel of, um, yeah. I've never really arrived and therefore I need to keep, mm -hmm. keep, keep grinding. I need to really keep, stay steadfast and, um, keep yeah. pushing forward because the other thing is, uh, you know, well, so, um, I bet you know, you know, this guy, Donald Miller. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Donald Miller, and I've been reading Donald Miller since way before story brand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And, uh, we got to meet him actually years ago and he was speaking at my college and stuff. So he was just that writer to me at the time. But he said, um, you know, you should aim to peak when you're like 65. <laughs> well, that's so good. Yeah. And to think of it that I way. Love that you can look at yourself and go, well, in that case, I'm right on track. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a lot more yeah. growing to do. And he, he was looking at his trajectory. And what's, what's interesting is, yeah, he was in, in my view, a successful novelist, you know, for mm -hmm. most of his career up until the point where he became a marketer. He really, he became a copywriting, you know, expert and kept, has kept going up this trajectory. And I just think that's amazing. And, I think he's living that in a way like he is really capitalizing yeah. on what he's learned. And on the other hand, I've known people or even known people like, especially when I live in the Bay area who had been too successful early on <laughs> um, and had made a bunch of money, had some success. It's usually, it was tech people at the time, startup people. Yeah. Um, and there was a real emptiness to a lot of those people, there was a real now what, mm -hmm. because they yeah. were, they were, they had hit, they had accomplished their mission so fast that they, yeah. they weren't on a journey anymore. And they were going, Oh crap, I need to kind of create a different journey for me now. Cause it's never going to be that good. I'm never going to get back yeah. to like, you know, founding MySpace or whatever it is. And I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, you know, Tom from MySpace is listening, but <laughs> that sure guy's probably, yeah, that guy's probably <laughs> having a hard time going, I'll never get back yeah. to, you know, MySpace. and granted it's, yeah. a dead product it's still the fact of like you know i think that's it's it's hard to you know where do you go from there so as a therapist yeah. in private practice you never really arrive and that's and if you embrace that then this all all of the struggle that, yeah. that you're in is going to feel normal it's going to feel like oh yeah or like you know again doing the agency yeah. work working in the hospital like it was all part of you getting to here and your current struggles are part of you getting to the the next place. Yeah. But you, I mean, you said something there too, that's really important that you've helped me kind of zero in on C on several occasions and kept in front of me is the idea of, of what's, what is the mission? Right. Like, and right. if the mission is what you're doing on, on mission on, on for is your vision for the future. And if your vision can take that long-term approach, and you can see it that way, then you you know what it, it so helps make things. It clarifies the clutter, right? It right. gets it what is clutter and what is essential, and and kind of um, helps you zero in and focus in that way. And I think that has um, that keeps you in that. And and if your if your vision is too small, right? Like then it is that it is that short term, or if it is if it's too. Um, if it's too circumstance based, right, or where you're just trying to achieve one thing, or if you're not, you know, recasting that all the time um, as you go and expanding that and making that something that a, a future that you want to live into, to me that that is such a 
um, it be, that becomes powerful in that way that you're talking about because you can start to see yourself at 65. You can start to mm-hmm. see where that's going and where that's going to be. And the, the struggles of it become momentary. They're not, they're not forever struggles. They are struggles of, they feel like they're going to last forever. Um, but they are, but they're, when you can take that long-term view and know what your, what your vision is, what your mission is, um, then you, you can weather them a whole lot better. I think. I think you're right. And it's the same way, you know, if you see a therapy client really struggling with something and you can kind of see their future for them, you yeah. know what I mean? Like going through a really bad breakup and feeling like my life is over, right? Or like oh, yeah. a teenager feeling like I'll never find love again. And you can't tell them that they will. But yeah, you can't, you, you just, can't, you can't guarantee that for them. You That's can't right. guarantee that in the moment because it feels real and it feels like, how do you know? Um, but to help like guide them through the pain points of that breakup is what eventually helps them find resolve and helps them, you know, move through that and eventually be okay. And I think it's the same for like, for businesses and, you know, in, in the work I do with therapists is a lot of times I, I can see where things are going right over the next little while for, for the folks I work with. And, part of my job is to, yeah, to help, help, you know, help folks get through what's happening now and, and trust that like the future is going to be good. It's going to be good. If you, if you stay persistent, you stay steadfast, you put in the work. Um, and I can see things, but sometimes I have to resist my tendency to just go, it's all going to be okay. Yeah. 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 Because you can't see it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> how, do you, how do you know that it's going to be okay? Yeah, man, that is that's good, dude. That, I yeah. think that's the being able to do that. It, it it's slow and it's steady, but it's like just staying in it. Like we, I think people jump out way too fast of that of those pain points. Like you have to go through mm-hmm. those pain points to be able to to get to the other side, as you're saying. And being able, sometimes the job as a therapist is just to keep them in that, to reassure them that they can handle whatever the difficult, whatever the difficulty is. It's not, it's That's not right. beyond them. It's, it's like they, they're, it's not going to, it feels like it's going to crush you. You know, I think whether it's the things you go through personally or the things you go through in with a business, like it, it can feel like it's going to destroy you mm-hmm. and take everything. But I'm just a big believer that, that people have the ability to, to, to stay in that and to weather that and to, um, that they have what it takes to be able to, um, be successful in that. And sometimes that just takes some reminding, not that it's going to be all going to be okay, but that they have what it takes to, right. To get through whatever, whatever it is they're, they're dealing with. Well, there's moments where we have to grab that person by the wrist and go, I don't know <laughs> if this same teenage client won't stop texting the ex-boyfriend. There's moments where I think we have to go, Quit doing that. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's making yeah. things worse. That's making you worse. Um, so, so I think sometimes therapists are afraid to just give that advice. You know, it's a dreaded word. But um, l- luckily, as a business coach, I can give advice freely with no... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No guilt. Yeah. But I think... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes for me, it's like you're... You're way better than that. That's not that's not who you are. Like, yeah. you're not you're not you're not the desperate person that's that's continues to text your boyfriend. You know, you're that's not. Um, I think a lot of times it's, it's it's us being able to see through um, 
um, get through all the voices that, you know, the, the ones we talked about. Right. So there are the negative ones, like get through all of that and re remind them of who that person is at the core. Um, you know, whether it's professionally or personally, like you have, you have good things about you. And I think we all need to be reminded, um, about those things multiple times. And sometimes therapy is just a, a great way to do that. It's a, it's a something that they'll, they'll listen to mm-hmm. oftentimes if the relationship is good. Man, well, I asked none of my questions. <laughs> that's, a, that's the best kind of podcast, though, right? Laura's going to be really annoyed. <laughs> She's going to be like, well, why did we write them? And I'll be like, I don't know. I have no idea. Adam had, more, had, Adam had too many interesting Lord of the Rings references to talk about. So uh, Yeah, if you, if you want to do an all Lord of the Rings podcast, oh, I, I, would be there, I would be there in a second. Talk about a niche well. audience. <laughs> I, bet, I bet there's some some nerds who listen to this podcast. I'm saying nerds lovingly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, as, I, as a fellow nerd, I really am going to have to have you back on to talk about awesome. the the business stuff, which is how did you go from where you were to to where you are now in your business. So we're just going to have to do that another time, and we're going to have to be really diligent. I'd love to. I'd um, love to. We'll make it happen, Adam. Tell folks um um a little bit about how they can um get in touch with you and find out more yeah so uh our website um for practices matthews counseling.net uh, uh got blogs videos matthews uh contact matthews with one t that's right m-a-t-h-e-w-s counseling.net um and then the podcast is foreplay rst uh, dot com or they can find it under um uh foreplay um in itunes stitcher anywhere podcast or downloaded or sold um, you can get that, get us that way. Perfect. Easy enough. We'll put the links in the show notes and, um, Adam, thanks again for doing this, man. This is a lot of fun and, uh, and I look forward to, um, having you back on soon. Yeah. I loved it, John. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, again, as always do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe to this show wherever you're listening. Um, if you've got a favorite episode, send a link to your friend and, um, help us keep moving the show forward. Otherwise, um, have a great week, take care of yourselves and I'll see you next time.